Hey everybody, my name is Kyla. Welcome to my channel where I talk about the stock market in the economy amongst other things. So I feel like a common theme on this channel has been me saying that things are really weird and we're all trying to figure out what's going on. And I'm here to say that things are still really weird. A lot of speculative mania is still going on even in the face of the Fed absolutely ripping rates, which I'm sure they really appreciate. ARK is somehow up, Bed Bath & Beyond bounced, somehow bringing Carvana back from the grave too. And retail investors are still in the market with this really fierce, Favor. <laughs> the physical world economy is booming too, which is the opposite of what companies prepared for during pandemic times. Everybody thought that the metaverse would be the main thing, but the desire to unplug and the desire to not be inside all day on our computers reversed all of that. Also, Bing could be the new Google. As Microsoft goes into AI-powered search, Google released their version, sort of, called the Bard, which is a new experimental conversational Google AI service, but Google is probably too reliant on search ad revenue to really innovate in this space. And Microsoft Microsoft is going all in to the point of losing money. Their CEO said in the Financial Times, from now on, the gross margin of search is going to drop forever. There is such margin in search, which for us is incremental. For Google, it's not. They have to defend it all. So Google really has to focus on making money in search. Microsoft does not. So Google's margin is Microsoft's opportunity here. And this is good. Big tech sort of stagnated, at least it kind of felt like it for a while. So having them battle it out is likely net good for everybody. The Federal Reserve also came out this week and they stared directly to the camera and they said we're going to raise rates until the skeletons buried underneath us rise from the ground the market now believes that the fed is going to be aggressive but nobody really knows what to think about anything it goes back to that first point where the labor market is strong financial conditions are loosening and inflation is kind of going down but maybe not we just kind of have this mixed bag economy that makes no sense but it's important to note that it's not really about the pace of fed hikes anymore it's more about levels so rates are very high right now uh, for the fed to hike another 50 basis points inflation will have to explode upwards like we'd have to get crazy inflation because the Fed is already sort of near where they want to be or you'd have to have the labor market add you know 200,000 jobs again in a month either way we're going to see the Fed probably slow their roll and maybe not do 50 basis points but if inflation labor market's strong again Fed's gonna come out rip it so Adam Newman <laughs> he came on to explain what his new company does and he is just so completely detached from any element of reality the idea is a community-owned apartment I think um and, you know equity is great I'm a renter too and like you know paying the landlord your rent every month and not having any equity at all is, is sort of a strange process, I think. But, uh, you know, the idea is that people will feel part of community, they'll own their apartments rather than calling a plumber, you'll plunge the toilet yourself. It's kind of the overarching thesis that he has. I think that community-focused concepts are great, especially as we like all are searching for the next iteration of religion. And that's what Newman did with WeWork, and that clearly worked for him. <laughs> I don't know if it worked for the company, but he made a lot of money on it. But the whole allocation of capital to these half-baked ideas that are based on value-creating mechanisms via financializing our entire existence is a thematic that creates more harm than good, one would say. So we've got this weird economy. The Fed's been ripping, the labor market's booming, inflation has fallen quickly. So things don't make a lot of sense. The economy is a narrative, narrative is emotion, and we don't really know how to process our emotions, especially in the context of things like the future, as written by Eric Byrne in Games You Will Play, the basic handbook of transactional analysis. He wrote, because there's so little opportunity for intimacy in daily life, and because some forms of intimacy, especially of intense, are psychologically impossible for most people, the bulk of time and serious social life is taken up with playing games. We play games all the time. The American dream can become somewhat of a game akin to Sims 4, where you wake up, go to work, go home, rinse and repeat. That was the ideal game for a long time. Work that 9 to 5, have 2 and a half kids, and chill out once you're 65. But that American dream is no longer accessible. People have to find other cheat codes to make their game work. Those cheat codes right now are fast money, which is why low-quality stocks are zooming, why we still see speculation, why there might be this disconnect between monetary policy and reality, if possible. And there's no other option other than 
and to play the game because we're just kind of straight out of luck to a certain degree. As Neil Postman wrote, people will come to adore the technologies that undo their capacities. You have to amuse yourself to death to replace information with entertainment, and that's a difficult pattern to reverse. And this gets into economics. <laughs> when we talk about things like GDP or CPI, it essentially boils down to how the actions of people impact people. It's a feedback loop of decisions made, events happening with various consequences, various impacts, both the negative and the positive vary, everything is a mix, but the most important underlying thing of all this is people are the root of everything. The economy is a circuit board of people interacting with each other and th other things. Money is the electric current lighting up to create the system as we know it. Our interactions are the economy. It's as simple as buying a cup of coffee. The beans have to be grown, which involves land and labor. The beans have to be harvested and transported, which involves infrastructure and shipping. The beans then have to be stocked and sold, which involves you and I and a monetary transaction. If one day these coffee beans went up by $10, we'd start to seek substitutes. But if all the beans went up by $10, we'd be forced to bend to the laws of supply and demand and probably some elements of price gouging. But paying that incremental plus $10 for some coffee doesn't feel great, right? And it influences how we experience the rest of the economy. It's very well known that economics is emotional. I talk about this a lot. In fact, it might be better described as economics at times. The problem is we do not give our analysis any room for emotion, we only interpret it quantitatively sometimes. I think consumer sentiment metrics have become increasingly more important, but it's very easy to say that this economy is a purely number-driven world and not recognize the level of irrationality that pairs with most measures that we use to measure economic success. We measure economic success through metrics like GDP and CPI, which are great for getting an idea of what is happening, but they don't recognize the true scope of what's going on. Many have written about how GDP kind of sucks, but the more important note is how this suck manifests in our lives. When we use metrics that kind of suck and those metrics say that things suck, we get a double taxation of suck. For example, GDP doesn't capture a lot of the detail of the economy. It kind of sucks. And in fact, some of the data might be wrong. And this margin of suck is important. If the metric can't even measure how much things suck, but then loudly underscores that yes, indeed things suck out there, that's a very bad combination for consumer sentiment. And of course, numbers are important. They drive narrative and there's an important element of truth in them, both quantitatively and qualitatively. But most people don't really experience the economy through GDP mismeasurement. They experience it through things that are tangible. And for many, that's food prices and used car costs and rents and mortgages, which are all reflected in GDP, but like not really, you know. In the United States, the increase in gas prices roughly correlates to the decrease in consumer sentiment, and for a good reason, it's that gap between data and reality. We are swayed by prices, and if prices are bad, we feel bad. If we feel bad, the economy feels bad. This is a very short and reductive summary of George Soros, his work on reflexivity, Keynes and animal spirit, but that, that that's the gist of it. If somebody comes up to you and says things are so awesome right now after you just paid 50% more for your coffee, you're likely going to disagree with them. A combination of feelings and expectations fueled by data. I've cited this passage from Fisher Black's 1986 paper Noise before, but it's really excellent. I think that the price level and the rate of inflation are literally indeterminate. They're whatever people think they will be. They're determined by expectations, but expectations follow no rational rules. If people believe that certain things in the money stock will cause changes in the rate of inflation, that may well happen because their expectations will be built into their long-term contracts. And that is the economy, what people think it will be. Of course, the data shapes our reality, but a large portion of the data is influenced by vibes, and if the vibes get worse, well, so does the economic reality that we live in. And I think this example is really stark. It's a really stark example of like, there was a thread that talked about building a multi-billion multi dollar company in religion. And you know, of course, religion has always been a product, bun to believe, pay 10% of your salary, ticket to some type of heaven. When we enter into the next world, nobody knows what works, but the idea is something works out there. But it was strange to see it spelled out like that. Here, buddy, you can make millions of dollars building religion. But that's really everything right now. The creditization of pizza for four monthly payments, you can afford pepperoni and cheese. The financialization of existence, become a valued member of our community for $49.99 a month 
and the profiteering of everything. And I don't think any of this is like net bad. Like sure, you should be able to take out a loan to buy pizza if you want. And sure, you can tokenize everything you do, but like, should you? And what does it mean if we do? The game becomes very serious when that happens. When you watch the actions of the Fed, it's largely about slowing the economy down to slow inflation down so the labor market can stabilize so the economy can stabilize. It's all these little nudges that are meant to disrupt short-term order and flow for long-term order and flow, but people don't like that. Final thoughts, emotions might drive the economy, but it shows up in different ways for different people. Everyone experiences number go upside of inflation, but that experiences causes different consequences for different people. There are essentially two economies. You know, there's one which in the increasing gas prices is just, you know, it's a mere annoyance. An extra few bucks here or there. Another one in which this increase in gas prices is catastrophic, meaning that there is less food on the table for the next food few days. Wealth inequality has only gotten worse, and the divergence in vibes is demarcated by the widening gap and those that can shrug off inflation and those that can't. The Fed's primary tool to reset the vibe has been to raise rates, which has a direct impact on consumers through higher mortgage costs, higher debt serving costs, and just the higher cost of existence. And now we're in this weird matrix of inflation becoming disinflationary when companies have stockpiled goods because of supply chain worries, and now they have too much, results in discounts, and all the inflationary pressures shift into disinflationary spirals. Our economic models don't always consider how people feel, scientifically speaking, the vibes. What is the opportunity cost of the loss of faith in a better world? The combination of a lack of belief with the breaking macro environment compounded by social media and hyper online populace has made it so we can talk ourselves into a downturn through tipping dominoes and feedback loops reflexivity spirits animals vibes what people feel matter and we have to begin designing our models and our theories and our frameworks with that in mind thanks so much for hanging out thanks so much for spending time with me i will talk to you all very soon hope you're doing okay out there